Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Welcome back to the Defiant Spirit and the Defy Your Number Enneagram System. I am Bar Halevi, also known as B, and I am delighted and honored you tuned in or you keep tuning in to our conversations about all things Victor Frankel, founder of Logotherapy, meaning-centered psychotherapy, my mentor and teacher in life, and the Enneagram, an ancient personality typing system, but I think of it more as a roadmap to live out the philosophy of Dr. Frankel. If I had to boil down Dr. Frankel's um, lifetime of work of logotherapy into a nutshell, I would say it is the ability to stop reacting to our circumstances and take back our power to choose our response in life. And so the Enneagram is just the finest roadmap I have ever discovered in doing just that, in learning where I go in reaction and how I stop reacting and where I can go in response, how to choose my response. So there are nine fundamental ways we react and we respond. Oftentimes we talk about it um, in relation to ourselves, and I want to shift gears a little bit today and talk about it in relation to other people. Actually, I did do a podcast a couple weeks ago on Valentine's Day around that very notion to be able to see what other people need, what other people want to give them, right, their Valentine's Day version of love. You know, we all have different love languages. Well, um, we have different Enneagram types. And today I want to talk about the Enneagram blind spots. One of the things the Enneagram is all about is pointing out our blind spots. You know, when you're driving down the street and this day and age, most cars now come equipped with on the side, the mirrors light up and it shows you somebody's in your blind spot. Well, I think in some ways that's what the Enneagram accomplishes for me and for those whom I share with. It shows us our blind spots, where we go and we don't mean to, but we end up crashing because we just didn't see anybody back there. So there are nine fundamental kind of blind spots, if you will. Now, in the ancient world, my old job, my old profession, um, we called it stumbling blocks. And it came from an ancient wisdom text, the Bible, um, a famous passage, very famous. I think it's Leviticus. I can't remember now. But it talks about not placing a stumbling block in front of the blind. And of course, that... Um, has to do with literally don't place stumbling blocks in front of blind people. That's just God awful. But more than that, it was a metaphor for becoming sensitive, sensitized to not just the needs of others, the wants of others or other people's love language, but also what trips people up, what causes them to stumble. And the rabbinic tradition, anyways, took that in a very sophisticated direction, talking about all kinds of scenarios in the Talmud of what are stumbling blocks before the blind. So I remember reading one commentary on it that talked about I'm not putting wine in front of a person who you know is a recovering alcoholic, somebody who struggles with that particular addiction. And 
you know, probably isn't going to happen intentionally, but even unintentionally, it's still a stumbling block. It's a blind spot. So if you know somebody is a recovering addict, maybe you forego serving wine at your dinner party in honor of them. Now, maybe you do serve it, but you acknowledge the struggle or you don't put the wine cup in front of them or you take them off to the side or whatever it is. The point, though, is not the outcome so much as the process sensitizing us to other people's blind spots, to their weakness, to their struggles, because what seems like a struggle to them may very well not be my struggle. And I just may be oblivious to it and not realize that it's not just a struggle. I mean, in that particular case, it's an addiction. It can destroy lives. Somebody who's thousand days sober, God forbid, I'm the one who trips them up. <clears throat> so you could say, well, that's not my fault, but you know, my, not my responsibility. But the whole point of the Enneagram, of these ancient wisdom traditions of religion, is to soften us, is to sensitize us, is to make us more compassionate. Calm means with, passion means suffering, is to be with other people in their suffering. And so in order to um, and, and, and in order to mitigate that suffering, to bring down their suffering, to become aware of what is suffering to them versus somebody else. So I want to look at that ancient wisdom text in a modern context, the Enneagram, because it's still applicable thousands of years later. And I do believe that one of the things the Enneagram can do is sensitize us, <clears throat> excuse me, to how other people move through the world and the struggles that they face, the blind spots that they don't even know um, exist in their life and they end up crashing into. So nine stumbling blocks before the blind and our opportunity, if not obligation, to be aware of them and to remove them. Certainly not place them in front of um, the blind, place them in front of the person struggling with that particular blind spot or that issue, but even going out of our way to removing them without having to be asked. And that's, again, what the Enneagram can really empower us to do. Okay, let's start with Enneagram 1 up in the right-hand corner. By the way, if you're not watching, if you're just listening, totally fine. You can get this slide on my website on the podcast page. Scroll to the bottom, and I'm putting up there all the infographics. So this will be there, but I'll, I'll walk you through it. I'll talk you through it. You're not missing that much. It just helps me stay on track and kind of gives me a focal point. Okay, Enneagram 1, oftentimes known as the reformer and sometimes referred to as the perfectionist. And that is part of the blind spot of a 1. So here are some of the stumbling blocks or the blind spots I can think of off the top of my head for a 1. And 1 is um, perfection or imperfection. They just struggle with it. You know, many types are going to get into perfection, perfectionism, but it's not a drug of choice for most types, but it is for a one, you know, for me as an eight, like I'm not detail oriented, I'm big picture. So I miss the I's, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and, and whatever, people kind of expect that from me, I expect it from myself, it just doesn't eat me up. I know Enneagram ones where when they don't check off all the tasks on their to-do list, they, they start beating themselves up. When they, um, you know, deliver a product or a service and there's a complaint, it hits them harder than it would hit me or some other types. 
So just knowing that an Enneagram one really struggles with the blind spot or the stumbling block around perfection. Because for a one, again, this is all reactive and we can defy our reaction. We can grow, do the work and start responding. But I'm sharing with you at a primal level, unconsciously, when they're tired, when they're in doubt, when they're in fear, when they're beaten down, it's a trigger for a one. It sends them down a hole of not just that it's not perfect, but I'm not perfect. And that's really how you know you're in the realm of somebody's stumbling block when it starts to qualify their worth as a human being. And ones can get into that pretty quickly. Ones struggle around issues of perfection, being imperfect, um, not, not being perfect. They struggle around morality. They, they, they long to be good. They want to be good, but they have a fundamental sort of original sin kind of a thing going on inside of them where they just fundamentally feel flawed or immoral. And so they're always, often, not always, but often trying to stand guard against immorality, imperfection, um, order, structure. It's very hard sometimes for a one to live in chaos. So if I know these things, I can tread lightly. I can um, know that, you know, if I invite a one over, it isn't that they're judging my house if it's messy. It's just that they feel uncomfortable. My son comes home from college and if his room is, you know, been messed with, he feels, he can feel that. And so, because he's a one. And so really going out of our way to make sure everything's in order. Now, again, he's, he or the one has to deal with their struggles, but it's sensitizing me to something that just otherwise I wouldn't be sensitive to. Another big one, and we'll move on, is criticism. So ones are the most critical of others, but by and large, critical of themselves. Well, when I start criticizing a one, like my son, I, I can feel it is a stumbling block. I can feel him falling over in a way that my, God bless her, my eight um, daughter, I could criticize her all day long and it's just got like elephant skin. It like bounces off. But him, it really hits him hard. And our relationship has gotten so much better now that I've understood that's a stumbling block. And I have to help him remove the criticism, not add more to it. So as you go through your day and you know your ones, just keep these things in mind. These are all stumbling blocks um, setting off a one. There's many more, of course, but these are some of them. And can we start seeing them through this lens and sensitizing ourselves and helping them bring down some of that imperfection, some of that um, struggle with order, some of those struggle with the details and, and all of that. Okay, moving on to Enneagram 2. So Enneagram 2, the helper, all about relationships, connection, giving. They're the ultimate givers. They struggle with receiving. You know, this is kind of the converse of it. And so perfection for the ones, imperfection is a struggle. Giving twos give naturally, they have a hard time receiving. So a stumbling block for before the blind with um, with a tube. Twos are blind around receiving presence, receiving attention, receiving the very thing that they gave us. Oftentimes you'll ask a two, you know, is there anything you need? They just lost a loved one or they're sick or they're struggling. I'm fine. Well, that's a stumbling block. Don't even ask a two if you can do something for them because that's a stumbling block. See, they're, they're, they struggle with it and they're going to say no because that's their reaction. 
Again, if they're in reaction, they can learn to say yes. I know many twos who have done the work. Nancy, thank you for this uh, inspiration. Na my friend Nancy's a two, inspired me to this particular podcast. So just do for the two. Just bring them the chicken soup if you know that they have a cold. And don't ask if you can do it because, again, they'll probably naturally say no, but that doesn't mean they mean no. Um, another stumbling block is asking them for help, for help, asking them to pick you up at the airport at three in the morning. It doesn't mean you can't, but just know that a two will probably say yes, even if they mean no, or they don't want to, or they can't, because it's so hard for them to say no. And so I might say, well, you know, I know she's going to say yes, and I don't know if that's really fair. So I'm going to not place that stumbling block before her particular blindness or his particular blindness. Um, another one with twos is they are very sensitive. You know, when you're this thoughtful and giving and you want to be in relationship, they can be some of the most sensitive people. And so just knowing a stumbling block for them might be criticism. Now, it doesn't mean you refrain from sharing important feedback, but you just do it mindfully. Again, certain types are not going to hear criticism the same way other types are. So you can say it directly to a five or to an eight. To a two, you might not say it at all, or you certainly might need to crouch it something sweet before something, you know, salty. So just keeping in mind who they are and what they struggle with and not going out of our way to place a stumbling block, but also going out of our way to remove some of those. Enneagram 3. Enneagram 3, the achiever, the producer, the uh, performer, they're out front, they're seen, they're doing many, many stumbling blocks for threes. Here's one of them. If, if production, if producing is really how they value themselves, as Wayne Dyer says, they're the human doings, not the human beings. They struggle with being enough um, without doing so if I ask a three to do something, they're probably going to get it done. They're probably going to say yes. They're probably going to do it. Whereas the, you know, the two might not be able to say no around relationship. A three might not be able to say no around, you know, a task or a chore or a challenge, challenging them, right? Getting into that. Uh, maybe you're not capable of doing it. Maybe, you know, you don't know how to do it type of thing. Kind of baiting them into something can be a stumbling block. They oftentimes say yes and they become overdoers, workaholics. So if you have an employee that's a three and you know it and everybody pride, you know, talks about it and they pride themselves on it, asking them to forego a family vacation or stay the Saturday to work when in fact you know that they need some quality family time because that's in their best interest, but you also know they can't say no, that's a stumbling block before the blind. Another big one for, for threes, I think, is honesty. And it's not their fault. We live in a world that encourages threes to be dishonest, to fudge the truth. We want to hear the, the winner you know, in them if there are financial, you know, um, our financial advisor, for instance, we want them to tell us how great it is. We don't say that, but, but that's what we want to hear. Or, um, you know, just a thousand different, I think of athletes, professional athletes, how many of them have ended up crossing a line like um, 
Lance Armstrong and Tiger Woods and Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Pete Rose, all threes, not coincidentally, all threes, they just, we pushed them so hard. Now they got to take responsibility for their mistakes, for their choices. But we also as a society have really set a lot of stumbling blocks before the blind when we ask them to be superhuman and to give us more and more and more. And then they cross that line. And people I just named, I don't think any of them set out to cross lines. I think what happened is they're just dishonest about, it's not steroids, it's just whatever that, you know, stuff McGuire was on. It's it's not quite illegal, but it's pretty illegal. It's like they're, they're on the edge of the truth. And that's where threes can get into some trouble. Threes can start fudging the truth. And in many ways, we encourage them. Look at Bernie Madoff. I'm not saying his victims are to blame. I am saying if you're getting 20% returns every single year without fail, and you don't want to see that that might be a problem, you have to own some of that. And then we're encouraging this. Again, he has to take responsibility for his choices. But at the same time, we have to take responsibility for stumbling blocks that we place in front of threes or any type. And in this case, really getting them to not have to lie, to not be in a position where they may fudge the truth and not asking them to go above and beyond in a way that's just detrimental to their well-being. Enneagram 4. Enneagram 4 is the individualist, the romantic, the artist. They are all about self-expression. And they live with this perennial feeling like it's never enough. What they're sharing that they do, they need to be more special, more unique, more creative and artistic and, and stand out. And so they really grapple with worthiness, being mindful of that, just how sensitive. I mean, twos are the second most sensitive type, in my opinion. Fours are the most sensitive type. So here's a stumbling block before the blind. I've learned this because um, I've been blind. My wife, Ariella, as you probably know, is a four. I've talked about it quite often. And the worst thing I can say to a four is you're being too sensitive, right? Um, making her feelings wrong. Fours navigate with their feelings. And it just, it sets them off because they already feel like they're not like everybody else. And in some ways, they're not. They just feel so much deeper than your average type. And so not doing that to them, not making them, not adding to their unworthiness, feeling like they're failure. You shouldn't do it to anybody, but this is a particular stumbling block for the four. You know, the kid comes home and hands you a piece of art. If they're a four, that's, it's a expression of who they are. If there are three, they probably, you know, threw it together to get a passing grade. But a four actually put invested themselves into that piece of art. They invest themselves into everything. So there's a, a sensitivity that we must conjure up with a four that maybe we don't have to with other types. And so not um, tripping them up, not getting them to shut down by, um, by discounting right? Their contribution to the world, just being very sensitive, being very sensitive to their sensitivity. Anything else with a four? Um, fours really thrive on drama. That's how they feel. And so not adding to the drama, you know, maybe that's like not telling them something somebody said about them. I'm not saying you lie. I'm not saying you hide. But I think part of my work with my fours is to filter 
and share what's actually necessary and important and what's just going to flame up this situation and isn't necessary. So really being considerate about how much drama and turmoil they live with on the inside. Okay, Enneagram 5's The Investigator. This is also a dark, deep type, but it's more intellectual. So they they are just constant thinkers. They're, they tend toward, towards retreat, to retreat into themselves. So one of the things is, is they just like to, they need, they need to understand the world. And here's a trivial one, but they don't like surprises. So a stumbling block before the blind for a five might be to pop in, um, you know, unannounced to their office or to their home, knocking on the door without calling ahead of time. You know, if you're visiting them at home or surprise birthday parties, I've heard multiple fives say they just hate it. And if you don't honor that and you have one anyways, right, that's for you, it's not for them. So a stumbling block before the blind because they have a slower, more powerful, but slower processing speed. And a surprise doesn't give, give them time to understand and to open up. So they're going to close down at the birthday party. And you can imagine that's a stumbling block for the blind. Uh, another thing a five will tend to do is conserve. It isn't that they're cheap. They're just conservationists. They conserve resources because they always feel like things are running out. And they really struggle with opening up, with giving so random, but if you have a five in your leadership team, as an example, I've seen this, don't demand that they give you an answer at the board meeting when, everyone, when all the sevens are throwing out answers and, you know, brainstorming. That's a stumbling block for the blind. They don't think as fast. They think deeper. They're, they're, they're smarter, but it takes time. They don't like surprises. It's hard for them to open up. It's sort of like demanding that a shy child speak out speak up, right? That doesn't work. Telling a kid to speak up, it just sends them down a shame spiral. And I think fives, um, you know, fours and fives are introverted. And it's, it's not fair to demand that they live according to our rules and puts a stumbling block in front of them. Another one for fours, just jumping back real quickly is suffering. Um, fours don't want to get out of their their struggle, their suffering as quickly as everybody else. So I saw this one a lot when I was a rabbi with Enneagram four types where they're in mourning and it's past a year and people around them will say, you need to get over it, right? Get over it. That is not a fair statement to say to anybody, but especially a four, because if they could, they would, but they can't and they're stuck in it. Now you can help them transcend it, but saying get over it just sends them down there that trips them up over their stumbling block and sends them down a shame spiral. Okay, Enneagram six. This is the loyalist. This is the um, the most anxious type. It's the most loyal type. It's the most um, sort of need to belong. And you can trip sixes up in a thousand different ways with stumbling blocks. So one would be to withhold your support, right? Almost weaponize your your support or or their their belonging. This you see this all the time in in high school and in, in junior high school um, groups, friend groups, especially with young girls, teenage girls. I see it with my girls that those groups they weaponize belonging. And so for um, for an eight, my daughter would be like, you know, screw you, I'm out. 
But for a six, there's a feeling of I'm I'm left alone, you know, to fend for myself with the wolves. Like that that's a stumbling block because it's 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 um, so primal for a six when they feel like they're left on the outside, they're isolated, they're abandoned. So making sure we're very sensitive to not leaving them out in the cold. Now maybe we're not weaponizing it. Maybe we just weren't thinking about it. And we know that you know we're having a birthday party and we invited half the staff, but we didn't invite this one person. They're six, and you know, like that can be a stumbling block. It can really send them down a path of of despair. Anxiety, a big one, big one, big, big one. So um I just dealt with this with a company where they're making people come back to the office, which is absolutely the prerogative of a business. But they have a six who's really reluctant because the coronavirus or flu or something was going around the office and you know yet they were still really encouraging people to come back and the six I talked to was like hyperventilating it was it was sending her down this fear spiral of a couple years ago you know type stuff when it comes to COVID and nobody else could understand it but that's not their stumbling block for her it was really getting into issues of self-preservation so just being very sensitive to a six. Sixes need to ask a ton of questions to feel secure. So a stumbling block might be no more questions, right? Just a teacher saying that to a student, no more questions. Well, you know, that's fine if a certain type is asking too many questions or they're just being a nudnik, a pain in the ass or something. But if a six is asking that, and I know that, I know what they're doing is they're trying to feel safe and secure. So not um, causing them to trip up over, over these types of issues. Enneagram seven. Oof, this is a this is a big one. Sevens are the enthusiasts, the the fun ones, the larger than life personalities, the visionaries. They're fast paced. They're up for a good time. This one is a kind of a traditional stumbling block. You know that gluttony thing. That um, inviting them out to a bar when you know that they're really struggling with alcohol, or maybe they go out too much. I've heard this from a lot of spouses of sevens that. It seems like their spouse is just out too often. So if my good buddy's a seven and I know that he's struggling with his marriage, I may not ask him to go out. Maybe I'll, you know, if we want to do something, maybe I'll go over to their house. Um, being very sensitive to how hard it is for a seven because sevens don't want to miss out. They got FOMO. So being very conscious about that, they, they have a hard time with excess. They, they tend towards excess. So, uh, you know, a little becomes a lot. And you see this around food with sevens. You see it around um, all kinds of narcotics with sevens. You see it around experience like road trip with sevens. They, they just can get away from themselves. Another one is they struggle with suffering, with going darker and deeper. And they'll tell jokes. So I have a harder time helping sevens in grief counseling than I do any other type because they really tend to resist going into the, the darkness. I call it the void dance, a void dance, a dance around the void. They're the most avoidant type around these harder conversations. So they're the most likely to be funny, to be fun, to crack jokes. A stumbling block, if I try and get them to be funny or if I play into those jokes and I encourage more or I let them co-opt the conversation, take us in a different direction, sevens do this all the time. They're masters at diversion. And if I play into that and keep kind of feeding them more and more and more, letting them 
take me down this path of diversion, there's, it's a stumbling block. They're going away from the hard conversation they need to have. Lots of them with sevens. Eight, Enneagram eight. Um, so I am, I react and respond like this type. I'd say the biggest one I can think of for me or for eights is, you know, we want to live with impact, um, do big things, make a difference. We have a hard time with the mundane. I think that's a big one. So if you, you don't want to get me going, all you have to do is throw a cause at me or almost challenge me. We look a lot like threes in that way. Like it's hard for me not to take on a cause. So if I know somebody's an eight and I know they are sitting on three boards for NGOs, for worthy causes, and I know that they're stretched and they're not paying enough attention to their home life, and I invite them to be on a fourth board, that's a stumbling block. Again, it's on them to say no, but at the same time, if they're a friend or if I, I know who they are and I know what they're struggling with, then it's on me to not place additional stumbling blocks before them. Um, so, you know, this is a dumb one, but when I was like 20 years old, somebody um, dragged me into a, a fight, a fist fight, and it, it wasn't even my fight, but the way they said it to me was, you know, you're just going to let us get pummeled over here. And they were wrong. Like I was trying to get them out of their bad situation and they dragged me into it by playing on my, you know, you're going to leave a brother, you know, in arms on, on the battlefield type thing. It's on me. I was a stupid 20 year old and I got into that fight, um, but I allowed myself to be dragged in, but much lesser than a fist fight knowing that eights have a hard time staying out of something. I've seen many eights cross over in family fights being kind of dragged in um, to one side or the other. And it's very disruptive to the, the soul of an eight to be put in that position. And so just knowing how much they struggle with um, go, coming to the defense of people, and they'll do it even if the person is wrong. And so just... Um, because they're, they're, they have a deep sense of loyalty and justice. Um, another one is vulnerability. I, I know this firsthand. Um, we have a very hard time being vulnerable. So when I'm in group settings and, and almost demanded that I share, I've been in those groups where it's like, it's your turn and you need to share. And I'm not yet comfortable. I don't feel secure. I can feel myself like shutting down and there's this pressure. And if I know somebody's an eight, I'm gonna know that they'll share. But it's got to be on their time frame, in their terms. So not demanding um, and do anything, frankly, because that's a stumbling block. Eights really recoil at demands. They will come along, but they, they have to feel like it's on their own terms. Okay, lastly, nine. This one is a big one, too. Um, nines are the peacemaker. They're the unifiers. They, they are amazing at bringing harmony to the world, but they struggle around conflict. So, you know, that back to what I just said about the eights, true with the nines, dragging them into a fight to choose sides. We have a daughter, right? Um, we have two daughters. Um, one of them's a nine. And she gets in, she, she's caught in the middle of her siblings. She's got three siblings and two of them in particular. Her sister is an eight and her brother's a one, literally on the Enneagram. They're on either side of her. And they have been known to war with each other. And they'll make her choose sides. And you can just see it's such a stumbling block because she can't willingly enter into conflict. For an eight, it's more about you know, justice, and it's so hard for an eight to stand with somebody who's wrong, but they'll do it out of loyalty. Well, for a nine, it's just hard to stand with anybody in conflict. Don't make them choose. Don't push them into um, 
conflict. They need to learn how to deal with it, but it's got to be on their terms. Another big one, like nines and twos have the same struggle. Nines have a hard time saying no. I've seen it with um, Shosh, my daughter. Her siblings will prey upon this at times, knowing that she can't say no. My daughter Maya just made her buy her Starbucks the other day because Maya drives Shosh to school, but I pay Maya to drive Shosh to school. So Maya guilted Shosh into buying a Starbucks and Shosh just couldn't say no. And she told me afterwards and I like laid in to Maya and Maya basically said, well, I just knew she wouldn't be able to say no. So that's a stumbling block before the blind. Right? You, you, you got to know um, that about somebody and it's our obligation not to prey upon that, to remove those things. Yes, Shosh and Nines need to learn how to use their voice and say no. But we, if we care about our nines, need to be very sensitive to just how hard it is. Here's another one. I've talked about this one before. I've seen this with lots of nines. I've heard it over and over again. So if you ask a nine if they want to go out to eat, they say yes, and you say to them, where do you want to go? The most likely answer for a nine is, I don't care, wherever you want to go. That's not true, but they don't want to cause conflict. So we had a Shosh day on our vacation last summer, I think it was, where <laughs> just to help her grow through some of this, we said the entire day is going to be about Shosh choosing where we go. Nobody gets to argue with her. Nobody gets to challenge her. Nobody gets to give her a raised eyebrow. And we just go where she wants to go. And it was liberating for her. It's like we removed some stumbling blocks. In the past, when I've asked her, do you want, you know, um, Chinese or Japanese or Mexican food? And let's say Shosh chooses Japanese. Part of me, and I didn't want Japanese, part of me wants to go back and go, ah, how about Mexican? But that's a stumbling block because it took her a tremendous amount to voice her wants and needs. And now for me to go back and challenge that, she'll probably crumble. She'd probably get Mexican if I pushed her. But that's a stumbling block. So um, really just being sensitive to how hard it is for a nine to use their voice, to make their stand. And once they do, to, to honor and respect it. They don't do conflict. And those are just some ways to think about the Enneagram, to bring this ancient biblical text to modern life, and to live a better life so that we don't go groping through the dark in our relationships and the way we treat people. How do we do that? By this roadmap. It is an incredible roadmap. When I know somebody's Enneagram type, it isn't so that I can box them in to reduce them to make them a number, God forbid. It's so that I can stop reducing them, to stop treating them like, you know, like just any old person. I now know their roadmap. I know their blueprints and I can address them, their needs. I can help them win. I can help them succeed by not placing stumbling blocks in front of them when they can't see them. But even more than that, going from just neutral to good and being a good person by removing those obstacles, those stumbling blocks before them in their blind spots. And we all have blind spots. If you want more, jump over to defiantspirit.org. You can get my complimentary ebook on nine Enneagram types, walk into a bar, and this is what they struggle with, this is how they react, and this is how they respond. Um, check that out. Check out my Defy Your Number Enneagram program where you can take the test, you can get into your online program, walks you through everything you need to discover your number and defy your number. Until then, I will see you or talk to you in the next
podcast. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your divine spirit.